0: Chapter Nineteen of Carpenter's Geographic Reader, South America. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fascio. Carpenter's Geographical Reader, South America, by Frank Carpenter. Chapter Nineteen In the Coal Mines of Chile. We have left the land of the Araucanians and are now in the city of Concepcion. It is the chief port of southern Chile. It lies a few miles back from Arauco Bay where we expect to get a ship for the Strait of Magellan. Concepcion is the greatest commercial city of southern Chile and its people say it will soon be the chief seaport of the southern Pacific. It has two excellent harbors Arauco Bay and Talcahuano, which are nearby. And it is so connected by railroads with all parts of the country that it has a great trade. The city has about 50,000 people. It is a flat Spanish town, with its plaza in the center, and streets which cross one another at right angles. This part of Chile is especially important, because it contains some of the chief coal fields of the Pacific coast of South America. There is but little coal on the coast, and coal is brought here by the shipload from Australia and England. The coal fields of Chile lie along the ocean shore for a distance of almost one hundred miles. The coal is not so good as that which is brought from abroad, and it must be sold at a lower price. The mines are so close to the sea, however, that they can be worked at a profit. It is for coal that the steamer for the Strait of Magellan has stopped in Arauco Bay. She now lies at anchor near Lota, with great barges of coal by her side. We see sooty-faced workmen standing in the barges and shoveling the coal on board. The ship is bound for Hamburg. She must force her way through the ocean, a distance of about 5,000 miles, before she can get coal again. It takes a vast deal of fuel to make a steam for such a big ship. This vessel uses more in one day than many families can consume in a year, and it will keep the men shoveling until night to load up. As we go on board, the captain tells us we have time to visit one of the mines. We are tired, and at first think it hardly worthwhile, until the captain says that the coal beds of this region slope from the land down under the ocean, and that the coal which they are now shoveling on board comes from under the sea. This seems very strange. So we call a small boat which is near the ship, waiting for passengers, to take us on shore. We are soon landed at the entrance of one of the greatest of the coal mines. The works above ground consist of large buildings, situated upon little islands connected with the coast by a railroad built upon piers. We kindly tell the manager that we wish to visit his mine, and he kindly sends a guide with us. We are taken to a great shaft or well, in which, by a steam engine and pulleys, two elevators are raising cars filled with coal and lowering empty cars to the bottom. We step upon the elevator that is just going down, and drop into darkness. Down, down, down we go, until at last rays of light shoot up from below us. Our speed grows slower, and we stop before a long tunnel with a line of electric lights extending on and on in front of us, growing less and less in size, until they fade into stars in the distance. As we step out of the shaft, a train of loaded cars comes thundering towards us, and we see that they are moved by an overhead trolley, like the electric streetcars of some of our cities. But there is another train going back. Can we get on? Yes. A special car with seats upon it has been attached to the train for us. We climb upon the platform and speed away over the track at the rate of twenty miles an hour. Within a few moments we leave the shore and are soon far out under the bed of the Pacific Ocean. We are moving along through a tunnel, which has been cut out of the great sheet of coal which lies down here between the layers of rock. As we go on, we pass openings to the right and to the left. They are the entrances to tunnels which have been made to cut out the coal. Think where we are. We are hundreds of feet down under the ocean, and big steamers are floating above us. And still it is dry. There is not a drop on our clothes or our hats. For the great beds of rock just over the cars are such that the water cannot get through. As we ride on, now and then a train passes. In the tunnels at the sides we see half-naked miners covered with dirt, digging out of the coal and loading it upon cars. What is that boom, 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 which sounds as though the sea were breaking in through the rocks away at the right? That is from the blasting done to get out the coal. There is no danger where we are now, but we must look out, for if such explosion occurred near us, it might blow us to pieces. What a great mine this is! There are hundreds of men at work in it, and vast quantities of coal are taken out every day. We return to the shaft on a train with 27 cars of coal in front of us, and another train arrives while we are waiting to ride to the top. Again, we are back on the steamer. It is almost ready to sail. It has loaded 900 tons of coal in the last 24 hours. Its freight has been packed away during its calls at the various ports farther north, and within a few moments it will start on its long voyage to Europe around through the Strait of Magellan. It is a big ship, and it carries a vast deal of freight. Below deck are 3,000 tons of nitrate of soda, 2,000 barrels of liquid honey, and great rolls of sole leather, all going to Europe. We have wheat, wine, and flour for Punta Arenas on the Strait of Magellan, and similar freight for Buenos Aires and Montevideo. Everything is carefully packed, for we are now going into some of the stormiest seas of the world. The extreme southern end of the continent may be called the very home of the winds. About Cape Horn fierce winds blow all the year through. There are many storms farther north, and seamen are glad when they reach the Strait of Magellan, in which the waters are usually quiet. It is by the Strait of Magellan that we shall go, and on our steamer we will avoid some of the storms by traveling through the narrow channels which run in and out among the mountainous islands along the west coast. This is the Smith's Channel route, the scenery of which is wonderfully grand. We are anxious to be off, and are glad when, as evening falls, there is a rattling of chains, and the anchor is raised. We hear the thump, thump thump of the engines and as we go to bed we are moving out of the smooth waters of arauco bay into the ocean we awake to find the ship rolling we have to hold to our berths while we dress and a lurch of the vessel often sends us against the walls of our rooms we climb upstairs to the deck and bracing ourselves against the rail look out over the sea there are whitecaps everywhere the waves rise and fall in huge masses they whip the ship, striking its sides with a noise like a cannon. Now a great wave dashes over the lower deck, and now a still higher one splashes over the top, flooding everything and making us run to our cabins. When we sit down at dinner, there is a network of slats upon the table to hold the plates, cups, and other dishes that a lurch of the ship may not send them into our laps. We lift our soup plates halfway to our mouths, and balance them with the roll of the vessel, trying at the same time to get our spoons between our lips without spilling the soup. How few of the girls have come down to dinner! They are more subject to seasickness than the boys, and prefer to stay in bed in their cabins. Some of the boys are seasick too, and even the bravest of us does not care quite so much for his food as he did upon land. A day or so later we have grown used to the motion and are all upon deck. We enjoy the changes which the rough sea and the storms bring every hour. Now we are shrouded in mist, and every few minutes the foghorn blows to warn other ships to keep out of our way. Now the fog lifts, and we see high waves rolling about on all sides. There is a break in the clouds, and away off to the east is a faint line of blue. That is the long, narrow island of Chiloa. The mainland is much farther off we are fortunate in securing a view, for in the winter in Chiloa, the natives say it rains six days every week, and on the seventh day the sky is much overcast. In the summer there are a few pleasant days, but even then the island is half shrouded in mist. There is more fog, and snow as we sail on southward. The sea is still rough, and we cannot safely walk about the deck until we enter the Gulf of Peñas, from which we are to sail inward on our way through Smith's Channel." It is only four o'clock when we enter the gulf, but it is already quite dark. We are now so far south that in winter night begins very early, and the electric lights are already turned on. The ship moves very gently, and when we go to sleep we feel no more motion than when in our own beds at home. End of chapter 19